Dexter is there. He goes by the name of Jim Lindsay now. This has been revealed in some teasers. Why is he called Jim Lindsay? Why is he there as Jim Lindsay? I don't, I, I do know. I, I just can't say. But I think it's going to be really, really satisfying, especially for people who watched the show. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. David Magadoff is on the show. David is an actor, comedian, host of MTV's Broke-Ass Game Show, and has also hosted HQ Trivia, the global live game show sensation. As an actor, David can currently be seen as Nikki Brooks on season one of Apple TV's Emmy-nominated The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, and Mark Duplass, among many other stars. He is also this summer finishing a six-month shoot of season nine of the Dexter Revival, which is coming out this fall. Dexter is one of my all-time favorite shows, and despite being bound to secrecy by Showtime about the details of season nine, during our chat, David was able to share some details about the plot that Dexter fans will find intriguing. In addition to acting, comedy, and improv, David is the co-host of a new podcast called Fanatics, along with co-host and producer Claire Kramer. Fanatics is a weekly podcast where David and Claire follow a special guest down the rabbit hole of their favorite fixation. Whether it's comedian Doug Benson's obsession with Broadway musicals or Tony Hale's fascination with indoor malls. David was kind to take time out of his shoot on the set of Dexter to talk to me about his career, the unconventional path he took in entertainment, why he prefers improv over stand-up comedy as a performer, and how improv has helped him in his acting career. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat with David Magadoff. David Magadoff, welcome to Dream Path Podcast. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. I assume you're shooting Dexter right now? I am shooting Dexter right now. Well, not this very moment, uh, thankfully, because mm -hmm. that would be kind of crazy uh, and also <laughs> impressive, yeah. both at the same time. Uh, yeah, we're it's a six-month shoot. It started in February, and I am here until the very last, as of now, the very last scene on the very last day. So um, it's been really fun. We're up in, I'm in suburban to rural Massachusetts, just uh, 45 minutes mm -hmm. outside of Boston. And it's just been so awesome and crazy and adventurous and beautiful. We, you know, I've done scenes outside in 10 degree weather and two days ago it was 95 degrees and I couldn't get enough mosquito repellent uh, <laughs> at the store. <laughs> I've it's seen so it exciting all. exciting to think about another, I mean, everybody's excited about the new season of Dexter. But this must be just amazing for you to come in during this reboot with all of this build up to it and all of this mystique. And, you know, there's just so much love for this series. How did that come about? Uh, I put in a few phone calls and sent a couple of Snickers bars. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, uh, and by the way, I, it's, it's so funny. What do you call this? I think we're all kind of figuring it out. I would say it's called a revival, okay. not a reboot, because a reboot would technically be. A new cast else. and everything. Yeah. yeah, there'd be like, you know, I would be Dexter, which thank God is not the case. No one would take me seriously <laughs> as a serial killer. Uh, but then again, is that not the best serial killer of all, Brian? Right. The one that makes you laugh before he slits <laughs> your throat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the one you least expect. Uh, yeah, it came about, I think, you know, it's funny. I'm, 
you know, I'm not the perfect person to ask about this. I'm just a lowly actor on the show uh, who's given lines to read. But I think from what the internet has told me, no one was really super enthused about how it ended. Mm -hmm. And the finale apparently was not known as one of the great TV finales. And so I think Showtime always kind of had it in the back of their head. You know what? If we ever wanted to see what Dexter was up to down the road, I think people wouldn't be so upset. <laughs> yeah. Um, unlike, you know, certain other finales. And so I think that just sort of got the wheels turning, I'm imagining. And But I don't really know who asked who, you know. Um, I don't know how it happened. I don't know if Michael, who's an awesome dude, by the way, uh, was the one who's like, hey, let's get this going. Or if it was Showtime or Clyde Phillips, another amazing human being who's our showrunner here. I think you'd have to ask them to see, uh, you know, how it came about. But it's here and it's cool and it's fun. And, you know, it's it's been a real, real blast and a real adventure. And we're all super close now because we've been living in a <laughs> pandemic, COVID-y a shoot that went from the tightest of tight things to now we're all have our shots and everyone's masked up on set. So, yeah, it's it's a yeah, it feels like. 10 shows could have been shot in normal times uh -huh. in the time we've been still filming our one 10 episode season. Yeah. 10 episodes in six months. That does seem like kind of a long shoot. Yeah. Uh, so how did, how did your role come about? I mean, did you uh, do self tapes that you sent in? Did you have to do live auditions? What was your process to be considered for that role? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, it's a 10 hour movie. That's really what it is. That's, that's how it's being, <laughs> and it's being shot like that too. I, yeah, got an audition, made a self tape. And since none of us are in rooms anymore, that's enough. And to be perfectly honest, that's fine with everyone. I think, you know, we, mm -hmm. I love being in a room, a live room, but look at you and me right now. We're doing a perfectly good podcast. It sounds like I'm right next to you and technology is amazing and they're going to see me on screen anyway. So it's nice to be in the room, but the most important thing is how do I look on the screen? Right. So mm -hmm. that's why personally as from my little actor perspective, I would say I, I enjoy just doing the self tape auditions from now on. Um, I love being in the room, but I don't know something nice about just keeping it, keeping it simple. So uh, just being based on the performance and not, hi, how are you? What's going on? Good to see you. You know, I'm fine with small talk. I like small talk, but yeah, I'm okay without it too. So, right. I imagine you save quite a bit of time too with the commute and, you know, the buildup and the parking and yeah, basically it's an entire day of your life if you <laughs> go audition, whereas you can do a self-tape in a couple hours. Yeah. It's definitely more efficient for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about your career a little bit because I did a as much of a deep dive as I could onto your IMDb and I'm pretty impressed with the number of projects, television projects that you've been involved in for quite some time. How did you make your way into television first and second? How did you find yourself as the host of a game show on MTV? Dude, I don't <laughs> know, man. That's a pretty unique path. <laughs> it really is. I, <laughs> I do not have, <laughs> I don't know what a classic Hollywood path is, but I don't think it's mine. Uh, you know, someone said the other day, who told, who said this? Someone looked at my, my, uh, my, my IMDB and was like, boy, or my, even my Instagram. He's like, you're a real master of none, are you? And I was like, ah, kind of like, I took that as a compliment <laughs> and that I really kind of just go where the work is. And I just like entertaining. And so 
I very much consider myself an actor, mm -hmm. but I also very much consider myself a comedian, and I very much consider myself, a, you know, an entertainer and a podcaster and a host. It's it's I just kind of follow the fun, and it makes me happy. So yeah, I started out doing improv. That was my love, and I started when I was in high school, and we did this thing called forensics, which is not death and the study of and all things law and order. It's really just a speech and debate club in high school in New Jersey. That's where I grew up. And there was this competition called Impromptu. And it was basically you did a one person improv show mm. that lasted like five to seven minutes. It sounds terrifying. <laughs> it depends, depends who you ask. For <laughs> me, it was fun. And I was an only child, so maybe that helped. And I would perform it and, you know, you compete against other people in these schoolrooms and these little competitions in high school. And so I did very well. I was state champion. It was very fun. And uh, this is this was very something exciting for someone like me who was terrible at sports. Oh, and is still terrible at sports. I shouldn't use the <laughs> word was. Okay. And yeah, that got me interested in improv. So we did an improv group in high school for fun. And then I started doing improv outside of high school and college. And I just have always loved the immediacy and the fun of being on stage live. Here we are. We only got each other. There's no net. And it's just the joy that that has always brought me. Just it's like mm -hmm. you don't need props. You don't need anything. You just need yourself. You just will walk on into a room and create an entire show. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. And I've that's, that's my like heart of hearts of what I love the most. And I I think that's probably the through line of my career. So I mean, maybe a master, not to master of improv at least, and then all the other stuff. Just sort of, you know, I find ways to do improv and all these things, like hosting a game show and you know doing Dexter. But um, I, from there, I graduated USC uh, with a theater degree and a creative writing degree. So in my mind, I was like, let's do two fake degrees and hopefully turn them <laughs> maybe people will consider them as one real degree <laughs> yeah that's a good school though that's a tough program to get into yeah oh yeah it, I, I i'm i'm joking around it was it was a great it was a great education but yeah the parents weren't necessarily like thrilled doing cartwheels <laughs> they would love to see something <laughs> with the letters like mba or you know, it's some engineering or something, but yeah. I, I was just like, no, let's give it a shot. And so they, yeah, I was with an improv company called ultimate improv, which was a very small improv company, but people like Jason Weiner who created modern family and JD Walsh was the artistic director. Who's been in a ton of shows. He actually just saw him in Kaminsky method the other night. Anyway, so they were all auditioning. And so when I graduated college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do really. Mm -hmm. And so they were all auditioning as well. And I was like, you know what? All my friends who are a part of this improv company are auditioning. Maybe I'll try it too. So I got an agent and probably my first like 10 auditions, I booked a role on the show American Dreams. It was an NBC show a, a long while ago, like Dick Clark Productions mm -hmm. had it. I think this is where Brittany Stowe started. Okay. And that was great. And so like some people start with commercials. And so I immediately started with a TV gig that became a recurring gig. And then I just started working from there. And I've just always done improv. And I always showed up to my auditions. And here we are this many years later, you know, with all these weird gigs under my belt. That's that is the shortest version of my story, as I can say. <laughs> so have you ever tried stand up? I tried stand up when I was doing Broke Ass Game Show, which is the MTV show you mentioned. 
because my partner, Derek Gaines, who's really a funny man, and you can find him on YouTube and anything else internet-wise, but he was also in The King of Staten Island that just came out with Pete Davidson. Great film. But he is a stand-up through and through. And so, yeah, MTV and their wisdom partnered me with him, and he would always go out every night and do shows. And I was like, you know what? I'm in New York City hosting this game show. He's He can do it. You know what? Let's just try it. So I started writing some stand-up for myself, and it wasn't terrible, but it really is such a different thing from improv. And I was fine, but then I started realizing very quickly like, I don't know how many stand-ups you've had, Brian, on the show, but like, it's, you can't do it casually. Yeah. It's a real, if you want to do it. It's not a hobby. I don't think it's a hobby. No. I think I tried kind of to do it a little casually and it's like, you, you can do it, but just know that everybody else who is doing it is not doing it casually. Yeah. Like, it is not for the faint of heart. You got to go up multiple times a night, multiple times a week to perfect your craft, to know what jokes work, to be okay with audiences of all kinds. And I was like, oh, this, is, this isn't this is for me. Not because I can't handle it. It's just because when you talk to a real stand-up like Derek, you and my, my uh, appreciation of stand-up comics is, could not be as high as, I mean, it's as high as I could ever think, just from doing it especially. And I always had such an appreciation. But- they need to do it. They love doing it. Like mm-hmm. you see on Jerry Seinfeld's show constantly, all he talks about is like, I can't not do this. Like it is something I must do. Right. And that is just simply not how I feel about stand-up comedy. I thought it'd be fun, but it's not, it's really not fun. <laughs> Every stand-up is <laughs> agonizing and anxious. And I don't think I know any calm, cool, collected stand-ups. And I think improv is my bag because it's about people and having fun with other people. I've done the solo improv shows. I still like doing the shows with people way more. It's just a more fun mm-hmm. communal experience. I think stand-up is a lonely road, but my hat's off to every single one of them because an amazing stand-up is an amazing thing to see. Yeah. They seem extremely driven and probably all neurotic to some degree. All of them probably have some pathology going on <laughs> to some degree where it's uh they just like you're saying they have to do it and it doesn't seem fun the road part of it so you know the way i look at stand up it's a lifestyle choice too and if if you are okay with being on the road a lot paying your dues and even after you've paid your dues you're still paying your dues because you got to be on the road i mean you know you've got people like mark marin who have created something different that allows him to not tour. He can just show up at the comedy store a couple nights a week and still do it. But most of them have to travel. But I, I do have a lot of respect for him as well. I haven't talked to a lot of them on my podcast, just a couple. But um, I always wonder about the connection between improv and stand-up, how similar they are, how different they are. And it sounds like it's just two different worlds. I think they're two totally different muscles. It's like... You can go to the gym and work out your arms. You can go to the gym and work out your legs. And you're working out. I mean, you're still getting an exercise in. You'll burn calories either way. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I can laugh at a stand-up show and I can laugh at an improv show. But the origin of where the comedy comes from is it's, it's just... It's, I actually tried. I, I host a show in the, the b- before times back in LA called Making Love with David Magadoff. And it's where I, with some of my Groundlings friends, will have... 
some of my celebrity friends come up who and share their love stories with the with the me and the audience and how they met, fell in love, got engaged, and then me and my groundlings friends, my groundling friends and I. Let me be grammatically correct. We will then do their love story as a musical and it gives me the greatest joy and so i would always begin the show it sounds hilarious it's a great time it's literally i'm like the happiest that's me at my happiest is that show um and with my wife i love my wife uh and (laughs) uh i always had a stand-up start the show when i first was doing the show and slowly but surely, I was like, because I'm like, why can't they both coexist? Can we have a stand up at a show and improv at the same show? And can both, like, you can have both at a show. And I learned very quickly, like, it just is a different vibe. It is a different thing. It is a different energy. Like, it can technically happen and some shows were okay. But once I just eventually said to heck with the stand up and just, just leaned into the all improv, Cause that's what I used to do. It's just all improv. And I thought, you know what? My, my love for standup and comedians is so huge in my heart that I wanted to make it work and just be like, let's find a way that improv shows and standup shows can sort of happen together. It's possible, right? I think the answer is yes, but I still don't think it's the best show. I think the best show is a standup only show and the best show is an improv only show. It is also, I think a different energy and a different, audience maybe it's a different it's a different thing so even though both elicit laughter i think there's a reason why you're the type of person who likes improv is not the type of person who typically may like stand-up and the person who typically likes stand-up probably doesn't go see a lot of improv shows it is just a different way in which to enter into comedy and i find it fascinating like talking about it with you is really fun because it's just on some level you should just be like well don't they both work it's like well it's not it's nuanced and right that's kind of cool so stand up and improv yeah they're really different things i've taken some improv classes some storytelling improv classes and for me it's the most unnatural thing it's just so terrifying but it does it feels great when you're done it's like it it just feels like (laughs) when you're through the the horror of it and the anxiety but for me, it brings me like it shows you what it's like to be truly present. Yes. And for that reason, I would think that being really good at improv would make you an excellent actor, which makes sense because you're on all of these fantastic shows, you know, The Morning Show and Dexter. So does it come naturally to you to be an actor with those improv skills? I think improv is such a great entry point with acting and i'm really thankful for that where i think stand-up and improv are so similar but so seemingly similar but different i think acting and improv are actually much more similar and much more fluid with each other so yeah i try to have a little bit of that improv nature in you know any acting role that i do because i think it just makes it more alive you know because ultimately they hire you and then you get to put your your stamp on it, mm-hmm. you know? They, they're hiring you for you, you know? Yeah. So many times people, you know, see an actor outside their role and be like, oh my gosh, you're so similar to, to like the role you played. It's like, yeah, because ideally I'm just being me and that, and they're, and they're giving me lines. You know, David Mamet said it once, the great playwright and screenwriter, you know, the, the actor's job is to just say the words 
right clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> and like assume that's enough and on some level i think that's that's true so but i yeah like for like auditions especially for com is it auditions i always like to show a little bit of something like if i can throw a little thing especially if it's a comedy audition if it's a drama it's hard to throw a little something in dexter was funny when i did my audition for dexter i probably threw a little bit in of like some improviness if so to speak but because it because it has a lot of humor to it yeah i think dexter is actually a very funny show um but if I get like a sitcom audition, I'll, I'll definitely throw a little button or we call them buttons in the industry. You know, there's like a little something at the very end that just ties it all together. Like it could be just a little word or a little something to say. And it just shows that you're not a dumb dumb. It shows that you're an actor who's got ideas and without stepping on the toes of a writer, you don't, you know, don't just improvise lines, you know, just to improvise lines. <laughs> I actually had an audition today uh, I won't get into the details of it other than they had a, a line in there. They basically said the the line was making fun of a, of a, of a, of a synagogue. And he just said like temple rich people. And I thought, well, it's much funnier if it was temple Beth, rich people. <laughs> temple um, Beth, rich temple Beth. Uh, I, I, forgive me, Brian. I don't remember where you're coming from, but I, I am a Jewish New Yorker speaking <laughs> okay. to you. And so, uh, in Jewish synagogue temple, tem- I'm a Catholic Northwestern or nor, yeah, Pacific Northwest, uh, Catholic. So, Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Um, ex Catholic, I should say you have. Yeah. So you have plenty of, we both share guilt. You and yeah. I have guilt <laughs> as our through line. Everything else might be different, right? You're, you're eating much better fish than I, but I do have some good locks down here. So, <laughs> In Jewish circles, uh, a lot of temples will be called Temple Beth El or Temple Beth Israel or te- there's Temple Beth is a sort of a known okay. name for a, a synagogue. I so get it. Yeah. they wrote the actor, the writer wrote Temple Rich People as a joke of like, where are you going to go today? Like Temple Rich People because it's a rich temple. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what's, and to me, I'm reading this and I'm like, well, what's funnier is Temple Beth Rich People. That's a much funnier <laughs> joke. But. You know, you have to be really, you have to have some balls on you as an actor to be like, hey, I'm going to literally rewrite your joke. Right. <laughs> Writer. And then sh- and then send it off to them and be like, hey, do you want to hire me? So you really have to ask yourself when you're going to get the opportunity to improv. You don't want to rewrite things, but if you want to put something at the very end after all the script is done, that's something that I would do in an audition. And uh, I think it's been more helpful than it has hurt me. Yeah. As you may have noticed, There are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. Our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy. Just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Now, back to the interview. So if improv is your comfort zone and live performance is your comfort zone, what are you looking for career-wise as a performer and an entertainer? Because you're in television, you're working on some amazing shows, you have improv, you have the option of doing stand-up if you want, um, you have the podcast, which we still haven't talked about, Fanatics, <laughs> um, but what are you looking for in terms of your career goals and where you want to be, say, in the next five to ten years? I, let's just say one word, Fiji. No matter what, Fiji. Uh, but no, I do actually would love to go to Fiji for a few days. So uh, as I'm saying it, I'm like, that sounds pretty nice. I am talking to you in a closet. Fiji would be great. 
so I'm not a goal person. So that's something that I had to learn over the years because I am sort of the like some, you know, dangle, dangle a carrot in front of me. I'm like, oh, or dangle a shiny object. I'll like, let's go to that. And I don't think about what happens after that. So I'm someone who has to actively think about like, okay, let's have a plan here. Let's have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, goals. So I've created more of that in my life. Uh, you know, I wrote a pilot about my Jew to Jesus story because of course I'm the Jew who goes to church and that's its own podcast that we can talk about on another <laughs> day. Um, creating a whole level, a new level of guilt. Like I was like, eh, I shouldn't create, I sh and there's not enough guilt in my family. Let's figure out ways, greater ways now <laughs> to make them feel even worse. Uh, so I, I wrote a pilot. I'm working on non-scripted shows because from my time doing broadcast game show on HQ trivia, now I haven't a great in into the non-scripted world and, you know, comedy shows and prank shows and things like that. Um, I'm doing the podcast. So on some level, I still like chasing the the shiny carrot, so to speak, because I just like living in the moment and seeing what fun things in front of me. Yeah. And there are some people who aren't satisfied unless they are doing this such exact thing, whatever that is. But for me, I just really like people. And so that to me is my greatest joy. Like talking to you right now is really fun. Mm -hmm. Talking to the people on my podcast is really fun. Showing up to set for, you know, on Dexter is really fun. And there are some people who are like, no, creatively, I must do this. This is the only way. And for me, I, I really just enjoy the creative work with people coming together for a common goal. Like I want to make people happy. I want to entertain people. I want to make people feel a little lighter at the end of the day. I love good storytelling. You know, I'm excited for, again, this pilot I wrote. I think it's like a really great representation of my true story. And I love getting auditions for real, great, authentic storytelling. I sit and watch TV every night and I, I love where it takes me to. And if I can be someone who helps take people there as well, great. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm try I try to do a little bit of both, a little bit of goals and a little bit of just like, hey, this sounds fun. Let's do this today. So yeah, I think I'm getting a little more balanced at that. Well, I think for peace of mind too, if you're in the moment, you're going to be happier rather than concerning yourself with things. You don't have a lot of control over where you're going to be in five to 10 years. I mean, in a vision board sort of way, it's nice to have goals to have it out there, you know, so you can pay attention to the signs that you need to pay attention to, to get generally where you want to go. But I like that. And another thing I was wondering is what your thought process was and how you processed the morning show experience. Because I watched the first, I watched all the episodes up to the point where you, and I'm not going to say too much about the episode, but there's a, a turning point for you in the series. Correct. And <laughs> pretty big, pretty big one. And what I noticed about the series, it just, it was always in my queue, but I didn't start watching it until I booked this interview. And I was just blown away at how many fucking movie stars are in this show. Like every scene, there is a movie star who is playing like a supporting role. And the production value is mind blowing. The lighting, the, the camera work, the sets, it's just an amazing show. And the storyline, the Me Too storyline and how nuanced it is and how well they handled it. So what was it like to be in the middle of that production, seeing all of this happening, knowing what's happening with the script and, you know, coming from the improv world, probably not planning to be there until you got there. 
What was that like? Morning Show was great. It was such nice people. There's not a lot of real estate for that many people. Right. Right? Like, there's. I, I'm with you. Like, I would show up and I'd be like, all of these people could be leading their own show. And they're all here. Yeah. Some people have got two lines in an episode. Some people have got <laughs> less. And I remember being like, how did I end up here? You know, and just being <laughs> thankful for that, for my few lines, you know, per episodes that I would do. And and a very nice, a very nice moment that I got to have for sure. Um, I, part of me wants to say what happened, but another part, because it's been over a year and people should have seen it by now. But right, we can, right. We can, we can be kind to them. Watch the show. Enjoy. Right. But yeah, I just think people, it was a nice reminder of just seeing, I, th- I think people come together for something bigger than themselves and that seeing a Bell Powley uh, who's uh, the British intern on the show and she's mm-hmm. the lead of King of Staten Island and uh, has been the lead of a number of films and here she is, you know, rank, you know, seventh, eighth on the list, ninth on the list maybe on the show of and just... In terms of lines and... Yeah, in terms of like, yeah, on the call sheet, like, you know... You know, at the end of the day, like Steve Carell's probably number was probably number three on the call sheet after Jen and Reese, and then you still had Mark Duplass, and then you still had Billy Crudup, and I mean, it was just such a great, amazing group. And you know, when Martin Short's coming on as a guest star, you know, you really it's a it's a heck of a it's a heck of a time. Yeah. And so I just think everyone realized that you know what? Sometimes it's just really cool to be a part of something really cool mm-hmm. and not worry about hey, I'm number one, hey, I'm number two. You know. As long as I'm getting paid and I'm working creatively with some really great people and it's a great story that was being told and that's just cool. You know, listen, people weren't slumming it. No one, I mean, everyone was getting paid properly and treated properly. So it's not like, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there does come a point where you are reminded of egos in Hollywood. And I just, I didn't see any egos on that show at all. I mean, Jen was so kind and she got like a burger truck for people on certain days that we could all, you know, grab a burger from and Reese was so kind and uh, Steve is the nicest just polite and kind of keeps to himself and Mark Duplass was like a mentor like I wouldn't I ended up buying a vacation rental home just from talking with Mark Duplass <laughs> and him just giving me advice because he knows a ton about real estate and so I you know there's a lot that I just am thankful for for him one of them just being like I bought a condo in Palm Springs uh, at uh, the at the encouragement of his great stories of, of real estate. So, uh, you know, for me, just, it was just a, it was just a blast on many levels. And I got to work with Lynn Shelton on one episode. I didn't know Lynn directed one of those. She directed, uh, I think two, maybe. Oh my gosh. Th- and so, uh, that just blew my mind. Cause I'm a big Mark Marin person. I don't know if you are too. You mentioned him. Oh, huge. He's why, one of the reasons why I started the podcast. Yeah. One of my big inspirations. Yeah, he. I, I think he's terrific. Uh, I love Mark's podcast. You have a great impression of him, by the way, and you're uh, you're, you're real. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I try. He's just you gotta you just gotta be really upset about everything, <laughs> but eventually you gotta throw in stamps stamps dot com. You gotta listen to stamps dot com. <laughs> it's a great product. Keeps me going. All right. Boom! I just shit my pants. Or pow! I just yeah. Whatever his coffee commercial is that he does yeah boomer lives boomer lives yeah so no mark is i've i've there's a mark inside us all but you don't have to you don't have to admit it but i do there's a mark inside of me yeah and yeah i knowing that he his relationship with lynn shelton uh just to 
for anyone listening, they're like, what are you talking about? Mark Marin was dating Lynn Shelton, who is a director of a lot of film, but also a lot of television. She did the pilot for Fresh Off the Boat. She did the pilot for Little Fires Everywhere, I think. And um, she did a few episodes, at least two, of the morning show season one. And I got to meet her and I didn't really know. I didn't know her other than she's just a woman named Lynn Shelton who's our director that day. Like I didn't know her or anything. I don't know if they were dating at the time even. And so once I started to know that they were dating and I'm like, oh, I knew Lynn. And I even, I just, I wrote her a note one uh, after she, after my episode, just to say thank you because I just really enjoyed her and who she was. Mm -hmm. And like, we didn't have a ton of interaction, but what we did, I was like, she just seems really kind and cool. And so we'd message a little bit on Instagram and just barely just something this high. And so then when I saw that she she had passed away uh, due to some terrible, unfortunate illness, apparently. And, you know, Mark, you know, if you go back to certain Mark Marin episodes, he, you know, chronicles it really well. But my heart absolutely broke for Mark and being like, oh, my gosh, normally I would have just listened to Mark and heard about his girlfriend who passed. But the fact that I knew her was very surreal. I was just, I was like telling my wife, I'm like, I am not the, that close to these people yet at the same time I met with her and I worked with her and I knew her to be a good person in the short time I knew her. So I can't imagine what the people who really, you know, were connected to her, what they felt like. So yeah. And even you, right. right? Just as a listener, just like me to Mark's podcast, you just, mm-hmm. you felt it so much. So yeah, I just feel like so slightly honored to even have you know been graced by her presence because she really was like a really fucking cool lady (laughs) she was really cool um she was a pacific northwesterner like me she's from seattle area Mm. and her dad max shelton is a mediator and i'm a trial lawyer by day so i know oh of her dad by reputation and i was trying to reach out to interview her right from the beginning of my podcast but she had this impenetrable firewall of you know keeping people like me out which is a good thing oh wow for her and i never was able to talk to her i talked to her a couple of her friends in the industry but her movies i mean she did a great mark duplass movie your sister's sister i think is one of them i think you i think she did a couple of mark duplass movies yeah i think i think that's how she might have gotten connected to morning show but she's also so prolific in her own right that she yeah probably didn't need mark it's probably just by chance but mark's that kind of guy that i'm sure he put a good word in who knows there's an episode if you haven't listened to the most recent couple of episodes of mark Marin's podcast he tells the story of someone in the seattle area who found a lynn shelton painting from the early 80s at an estate sale and was able to get this painting bought it and shipped it down to mark and now he's got it hanging in his bedroom but it's a it's a fun little story that he tells in the like the fifteen minute monologue that he does before every interview. That's so sweet. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. What are yeah yeah people people love Mark and it's beautiful that that people do that. Yeah. So what a what a gift. Yeah, it really is. I was wondering what your thoughts were on Mark when I saw your reel because it was pretty biting. <laughs> your it was a little a little spot on there. I was like, ooh, that's a. Uh, Maybe Mark might look at that and, and be pissed, but, you know, I think he would probably take it well. No, that, that's, that's 100% a love letter to Mark. That's not, that is, yeah. that is, yeah, that is, <laughs> that, is, that is one of those, like, I, I, I see you, Mark, and I love you. That's all it is. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I was laughing throughout that whole reel. Nice job. Thanks. And all those impressions. 
Well, speaking of, you know, you said about goals, you know, something that you that popped in my head talking about my my SNL reel. So, yeah, I've auditioned for SNL a couple times. Uh, and what's a funny thing about just putting deadlines for yourself was I was auditioning for SNL, but that that one of those reels is what really impressed the MTV folks to hire me for broke ass game show Mm. and so i always say you know what in this industry you plant a seed right in front of you but get ready for the tree to grow behind you Mm -hmm. meaning you never know it's like another way to say it is work begets work you know i'm sure you've heard that phrase or used it many times sure i just think i'm a big believer in like go after a goal kind of like what you were saying go after a goal you may not get that goal but if you go after a goal guaranteed good things will happen you know, whether it actually be the thing that you get after or just the fact that you're going after something mm-hmm. and then something good will occur. I, I'm, I'm a huge believer in in that. It never just falls flat. Like if you don't get the goal, then it did, wasn't worth it. I always think great things come out of going after your dreams. Well said. Well said. Let's talk about the podcast. Sure. Yeah. So fanatics, tell us about the podcast and then we'll dive into some of the episodes. Yeah. So... One of the to appropriately go with my with my career of uh, potpourri, which would be a yeah, my career would be under the potpourri category on Jeopardy for sure. Uh, one of them would be podcasts because now I am of course hosting naturally a podcast with Roddenberry Entertainment. And for those who don't know Roddenberry, as in Gene Roddenberry, which is the creator of Star Trek, and I would do the Vulcan hand symbol for you now, Brian, but I so shamedly do not know how to do it. I just, my <laughs> fingers can't get there. You're doing a great job. Yeah. I'm, I can do this. It's very sad. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I got connected with them and, uh, our, this, the head of development there is named Trevor and, uh, Trevor's a great guy. And I've pitched an idea to Trevor and he's basically like, oh, we kind of have the same idea here. Do you want to just be a co-host? <laughs> with Claire Kramer on this idea that we're about to do. And it really was almost exactly the same idea. I was like, what if we do this thing? It's like, we'll call it nerding out with David Magadoff and we'll get on celebrities and every celebrity has to have like a nerdy thing they're into because at, at the end of the day, we're all kind of nerds. You know, I own 4,000 comic books. I listen to Oasis every day. Uh, there are things that we just love. Every human being has one to 10 things that they just are smitten with whether they talk about it or not is another story but we all have something that is an obsession a quirk a passion all three Mm -hmm. and he was like well yeah we have the show we're calling it fanatics would you want to be a co-host on it i was like okay great it's the same show with a different title (laughs) sounds great easy yeah so i met claire and claire's awesome and she's done you know buffy the vampire slayer and bring it on and so many other cool things and she's like the queen of comic-con and she's interviewed like every single person ever and we've got such a lovely chemistry she's awesome we're totally different stages in life she's got four kids i have a cat one cat (laughs) and it's been great and we've been able to interview all these wonderful human beings uh who are celebrities and who all have quirky things and it's such a great humanizer you know it's one of those things where it's fun to hear about tony hale's love of indoor malls Mm -hmm. it is a very (laughs) sweet thing to not talk to him about veep and to not talk to him about arrested development and to just be like what do you love and he's like i absolutely adore 
indoor malls. I grew up with indoor malls. I know mall this one mall, like the back of my hand. I know what is good in a mall that you can have a carousel in certain malls that there needs to be a food court located here. It's just so charming and so sweet to just talk to people that you don't necessarily get so close to about things that they are very intimately close to. Mm-hmm. And it's just great. I'm glad you said that word humanizer, the great humanizer, because one of the reasons I started this podcast And if you go back to episode zero, which is kind of like my reason for starting the podcast is a couple minutes of me just talking. I talk about humanizing the creative process, humanizing the folks that we really have a lot of mystique around, a lot of mythology about people who are just human beings. And like your podcast says, I think in your intro song, everybody has their thing. And what this does, I've listened to a few of the episodes, like with Doug Benson and his Broadway obsession and going to four or 500 Broadway shows, this guy is an encyclopedia of knowledge about Broadway and off-Broadway. And and to understand, I've seen Doug Benson live. I've seen him on TV. I had no idea really who he was until I heard this interview. And I didn't even hear about his career in this interview. It was like, you're coming at the guest at an angle that has never been used before to access their story and access their humanity. And I love that episode, by the way. I think that was my my favorite of the ones I listened to. Thanks, isn't it cool? I love Doug too. Did you see the last blockbuster? No, I did not. It's on Netflix. It's like a little documentary about the very last blockbuster that's in Bend, Oregon. So not crazy far yeah. from you. I love Bend. Yeah, uh, it's fun. It's a quirky place. So that's the very last blockbuster is in Bend, Oregon. Okay. And it still, it still exists. And so he actually travels to it. He's like a big part of the, of the documentary. It's really charming, but I'm a big fan of Doug also. And yeah, tell me, I can't imagine anywhere in Doug's universe that you would have known that he's a musical person and then to have gotten this in depth. And so to hear just his genuine love, right, of musicals, a guy who just loves getting high specifically at musicals and experiencing it that way. And just also his sweet, the sweetness of like, he thinks at one point there was a time where like, if he had just committed himself, maybe he would have been someone who's on musical on (laughs) on the stages of, you know, Broadway and, and, you know, the Gershwin theater. So there's this sweet, there's just a hair of a sadness that, you know, wants me to give him a hug to just go like, oh, I love that you love this because there's something about it that makes you go, you know, maybe I could have, I could have been a contender, you know, and Mm -hmm. that he appreciates it and loves it and doesn't like balk at it, that he's, he's like, there's a part of him that always wishes he could. And that's also why he loves it. So yeah, I'm with you. It's, isn't it fun to just, and it's a palate cleanser. You know, we're not talking (laughs) about political topics for better or worse. Some people love to just talk about politics and this and that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's about going, Hey, you had a hard day. You want to listen to somebody cool that you love? Well, they love something too. And you love something too. So let's connect about it. I love it. So yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. And then the episode on the Ford Broncos was hilarious. The OJ Simpson story from Greg Grunberg. (laughs) I was like, I was, when he, you know, it's, it's not a good idea to lead with this story is the greatest because every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, you're, you're setting yourself up, buddy. (laughs) But I'm like, that is a really good story. <laughs> it is the greatest OJ story I've heard. I love you. Yeah, Greg Grunberg, who you know from Star Wars and Star Trek and anything with the word star in it. Star is born. Uh, he, he and heroes and alias. 
he's just been in everything and he's wonderful. And he loves Ford Broncos. That was his thing. And the, the story goes that he went as a kid with his family. He grew up in LA and he went to OJ Simpson's house for like a pool party mm-hmm. or a summer barbecue. And apparently the thing at OJ's house, and I think they even documented in The People versus OJ Simpson with Sarah Paulson, who I got to work with and is incredible, that they just push anyone into the pool. Like that's just at the party. Like if you're near the pool, you will get pushed. And so apparently OJ like, he was a big guy. So Greg. And so OJ like picked him up and like threw him in the pool. He almost like cracked his head open, but it didn't. And he was like, yeah, I guess that's what happens. And then he remembers seeing, and he felt so bad for Greg that he almost hurt him, that he brought him inside the house and him and I think Al Cowlings, they all watched football together and he was a teenager and he was like, this is cool. I'm with OJ Simpson and we're all watching football. Right. And then when the Bronco chase happened, like his father calls him and says, hey, or he says to, he, maybe he calls his father, Greg calls his father and is like, are you watching this? And then the, Greg's father's like, how could he do this? He's the nicest guy. He had us over his house. There's no way he could have done this. There's no way he could have done this. And Greg's like, um, just cause he had us over at his house for a pool party. He almost killed your son, dad, in the pool. Yeah, it's true. He, I, I almost was going to be. Uh, yeah, uh, unlawful manslaughter or what's whatever the term is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty solid OJ story. Pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Better than mine. That's for sure. Yeah. Lots of fun details in that story. And I recommend my listeners go check out that episode. So what's next for you after Dexter? I am going home, baby. I, uh, I still doing fanatics. Uh, but yeah, I, my job is to keep auditioning, which is what I've always done and to uh, keep working on my projects. So uh, I've got about another month and a half out here. So that's what's going on. And then on Dexter uh, of Dexter. Yeah. And then hopping in the car with the wife and the cat and driving all the way back to Los Angeles sometime in August and then unpack and see what's uh, see what next crazy thing I can get into. Can you tell us anything about your role in this season of Dexter or would that be a spoiler? I can say that I am a rookie cop. They're really good about like fear of God to not share anything. Uh, I'm a rookie cop in the town of Iron Lake, which I believe has totally been revealed. And Iron Lake, Iron Lake is a made up town. This is all stuff you can Google, so I'll just share. Uh, Iron Lake is a lake in New York, but it's not a town. So they're just made up a town called Iron Lake. Mm-hmm. And we're just a, it's just a small town. Uh, and I'm just trying to think, yeah, I don't think I can say anything other than that. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty boring, but I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, uh, Dexter is there. He goes by the name of Jim Lindsay. Now this has been revealed in some teasers. Why is he called Jim Lindsay? Why is he there as Jim Lindsay? I don't, I, I do know. I, I just can't say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be really, really satisfying, especially for people who watched the show. I think it's going to be a very satisfying 10 episodes and just some great people on the show. You have Julia Jones, who did Mandalorian and Twilight and Clancy Brown, who um, is, if you know him as Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob, as well as LBJ from The Crown, as well as Shawshank Redemption, and um, he's one of the nicest guys. Uh, 
And Michael C. Hall is just, I mean, I can't say enough about him. I heard he was quiet going into working with him. And he's not. He, I mean, he can be, but like he's funny and he's charming and he's great. He's uh, talking about like call sheets. He's number one on the call sheet, obviously. And yeah, but he's a great number one. He's the kind of guy who sets the tone of the whole show. And it, everyone's having a real chill time out here. Uh, you know, everyone, it's, it's hard work. This crew is working their butts off. Uh, it's a six month shoot. Yeah. You know, COVID. I mean, I don't think anyone has ever worked on a show. There's no time where you're like, oh, the last time I was doing a six month shoot uh, during a pandemic, like you have no, <laughs> no frame of reference there. You know, we're all figuring it out. So, um, wearing a mask every day to set, you know, um, getting tested every day. It's, it's a beast. You know, I really, this is a hard, hard working crew. And I think a guy like Michael who doesn't ask for much, who doesn't demand anything, who just shows up every day and does his job and is a great guy. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see people like that and set the tone. That is fantastic. Thank you for all of the details about Dexter. I'm sure my listeners are just on the edge of their seat waiting for this thing to be released in, in the fall, right? September or October? It'll be the fall. Yeah, that's again, I, I, I might know a little more than the fall, but as of now, uh, fall is what Showtime has put out there. So yeah. um, yes, either one of those, one of those autumn months. <laughs> in, in terms of where people can find you, you're on Instagram at David Magadoff and also Twitter with the same handle, right? Yep. I am the only David Magadoff on earth. That's okay. true. For better or worse. <laughs> okay. And the, of course, the Fanatics podcast can be found everywhere where podcasts are streaming. Yeah. F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. So addicts like you're going to be addicted to the podcast. All right, David, so fun talking to you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's a total pleasure. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. <laughs>